Good afternoon, everyone. This afternoon, we're going to be talking about prayer, and the title for this morning's message is Learning to Listen. And it's really trying to focus on um, the relational aspect of how we uh, connect with God in prayer and how that really becomes a transformative um, experience. I remember when I first started, um, when I was first interested in Jinha, she would ask me this question periodically. And the question was like the thing that I feared the most because I didn't have a good answer to her question. That question was, why do you like me? Why do you like me? And I, you know, I was like, you smell good. You know, I, I don't know. Like, you know, what are you supposed to say, right? And um, I kind of had this interview session with her parents before I got the green light that uh, we could be together. And I talked to her dad and he asked me this question. And it was kind of like, oh, I got this in the bag. He was kind of like, what's your take on the 144,000? I was like, oh, I can answer this. Or uh, what's your take on Christian perfection? I kind of fumbled my way through. He's like, okay. this. He's like, all right, he's not crazy. And I think that was kind of the filtering question. Like, is this guy theologically off his rocker? And so he asked me really good theological questions. And I was like, yeah, I got brownie points. I know I connected well with the dad. And then Jin Ha's mom comes to me and she's like, why do you like my daughter? Oh, why do you ask me this question? There's no good answer for that question because if you say, oh, she's incredibly smart, well, there are going to be other smart girls out there. You know, what separates my daughter from everybody else? Or if you say, oh, you know, she's intelligent or spiritual, there are always going to be other intelligent spiritual girls out there. So what separates my daughter from the rest of them? And uh, let's see here. We dated, we were together for two years before we got married. And it was probably like right before marriage where I kind of felt like, I had a decent answer for that question. And I realized, basically, um, it can't be based off of what Jin Ha has to give, but more importantly, like, what kind of a relationship have Jin Ha and I built together, and how do I value this individual? Because, yes, there are going to be other people that have similar qualities to Jin Ha, but there is never going to be another Jin Ha. And so it's that relational quality and value that we build together in time that is, you can't replace that ever. And so um, it really, I realized, you know, it's not so much what she gives, but how able am I to connect and value this person um, as someone who's an incredible individual? And um, anyway, yeah, so um, that kind of, it was a paradigm shift because for the longest time I had built our relationship based off of what I can give as a boyfriend and what she can give as a girlfriend. And I kind of had this mental checklist of things that we should do together in order to be a healthy couple. So I kind of thought, okay, we do ministry together. Check. That was like number one. I was like, we have to do ministry together. And I remember walking into church and she was preaching a sermon. And I thought, wow, she's such a good preacher. Ideal, ideal wife, like right there. That's like number one, right? And then went, went to her home and she fed so many people. Wow, she cooks for lots of, oh, check, check number two, you know. And that's, there's kind of like this mental checklist. And I realized I was so busy going through this checklist that for a long time, relationally, there were so many moments where I missed in uh, connecting with, with this very special person. And uh, one, of those, one of those moments uh, was when Jin Ha's parents actually gave us the green light and said, hey, look, we're, we're happy for you two to come together and move forward. And Jin Ha was like, this is great. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, man, now, 
now we have to work through like this and I was just kind of going through my checklist and she's like hey like what are you doing like we get to be together this is great and I was like yeah but now we have to prepare for marriage and, da, 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 da. and she was kind of like when are we going to sit down and celebrate that we get to be together and I was like after we're married, and she's like, you got to be kidding. So this is, this is the first day that we're an official boyfriend-girlfriend, right? And so she, she was kind of like baffled. And looking back on it, I realized, man, there were, there were moments of like special connectedness that I could have had uh, with a special individual that I kind of missed out on. But we can walk back on memory lane, and I can say, I'm sorry, and she forgives me, and then we connect, and so it's good. But so... Um, there's this concept in the Bible about connecting with God, and I want to share this with you. It's, uh, it's found in John chapter 8, and reading verse 31 and 32, it says here, uh, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And if, uh, excuse me, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so here in this passage, Jesus talks about abiding in himself. And I've also asked myself the question, what does it mean to really meaningfully connect with somebody? And there are a couple things that came to my mind as uh, things that are important when connecting with somebody. One is having an atmosphere of um, security, a place where one person does not condemn the other person, a place where a person truly values somebody. And so it's not just not being upset for things that a person has done. It's proactively um, thinking the best of somebody, if that makes sense. It's realizing and it's kind of, um, yeah, seeing the best qualities in an individual. So one, forgiving the past, having non-condemnation, and for the future, being able to inspire that individual. And that kind of, when you know somebody values you genuinely, there's this connectedness that takes place, and you feel valued as an individual. And so Jesus says, abide in me. Now there's this, um, each time we interact with whether it's Jesus or our spouse or someone that's special to us in our lives, not only is there this place of security, this place of encouragement, but it's also that person brings their own personality, their own tastes to the table. And as we interact with different people, what we're doing is we are accommodating that individual's tastes, if that makes sense. So when Jesus, when he says, abide in me, he's not just saying, abide in this concept, abide in this place of security. He says, abide in my word. This is my personality. These are my um, preferences. This is my truth. And so he says, abide in me, but also abide in my truth. And as a result, he says, you will experience freedom. And so Jesus is kind of preaching this to the Israelites. Now, the reason why this principle of freedom is so important and crucial in Israel is because Israel has had a history of captivity. Whether it was being slaves in Egypt, whether it was being captives to Babylon, whether it was being captives to Medo-Persia, and so forth, so forth and so on. And right now they are captives of the Roman Empire. And so when Jesus comes and he says, if you will abide in me, you will experience freedom, this is something that really strikes a chord in the hearts of the Israelites because they are currently and have been historically kept in captivity. And so I want to look at one example in the Bible where the Israelites, actually two different examples that are given here, of a kind of uh, captivity um, that the Israelites have gone through and how God interacts with them and how they interact with God through prayer. And so... If you can turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, there's this famous passage of captivity. Jeremiah chapter 29. 
whenever I think of prayer, um, I often think that the, something that really inspires me to call out to God is when I need help, when I'm in trouble, or when I need something. And whenever there's, a, yeah, whenever there's a sense of personal need, it really drives that motivation to call out to God. And this is um, an example of when this actually happens. And I think there's some valuable lessons that can be uh, pulled out here. So Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to read verses, uh, we're, we're just going to go through verses 1 to uh, 14 together. So the background of this text is Jeremiah is this prophet that's sent to Israel. And he's sending messages to the captives that are going into Babylon. He's also uh, sending this message to the Israelites who are still uh, in Jerusalem, who have been left there. And in chapter 29, this is a specific message to those captives who are in Babylon. And uh, the first time uh, the Babylonian Empire came and pulled captives out, if you look at verse uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, it lists names and kinds of people that were taken out. And so if you skim, you'll notice that some priests were taken, prophets were taken, uh, the royal family was taken, the nobles were taken. And so you kind of have the upper, um, you have the key stakeholders of the kingdom of uh Israel who have been taken out and taken to Babylon because if anybody can start a revolt it's it's these individuals and so the king of uh, Babylon says I don't want that I want them here in Babylon and so he takes them away and so Jeremiah has this very specific counsel um, to Israel to the Israelites who are taken off into captivity and the council starts in verse 5 and I find that this council is very unique Now, in the text, it says something very interesting. It says here, um, in verse 4, Jeremiah communicates to those taken captive, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, right here at the start, God takes responsibility for the captivity that's taken place. And so uh, this is kind of unique because it almost puts God in a position where he is punishing uh, Israel. And um, I don't know any other way around the text, but basically God is kind of, yeah, disciplining Israel. And uh, this has come about because Israel has entered into a covenant type of relationship with God and they have broken that covenant off. And what I mean by covenant, I don't mean that Israel made mistakes and because they just uh, goofed up here and there, God sent them to Israel or to Babylon. It's very different um, in this way. When I have an argument with my wife, I would consider that just a goof up or a slide off, or, or, or um, yeah, just a goof up. But breaking a covenant is when I then go to my wife and say, "I cannot be with you anymore. We're in this in this relationship that has a promise attached to it, right?" I stood in front of my wife at the altar and I told her, "I promise till the day I die, I'm going to be faithful to you." And so. If I come to the point where I break that promise and I say, I no longer want to spend time with you, you go away. That's a breaking of a covenant. That's called divorce. And so there's a difference between an argument and a divorce. Does that make sense? And so here, Israel, it's not that they just goofed up here and there or that they had bad character traits. It's just that out of that relationship between God and Israel, one group decided, I no longer want to be in this relationship. Go away. And so what happens is God is thinking, okay, apart from me, there is no hope, no life of survival for this small, um, this small country. And so he's thinking, 
how do I restore life to this group of people that do not want life? And so he thinks, I'll send them back, I'll send them back to Babylon. And so Israel goes back to Babylon, and it's a result of this broken covenant. So here's how God is trying to reach a people who do not want to be reached, essentially. So if you look at verse 5, here's Jeremiah's message to Israel as they're captives in Babylon. Verse 5 says, First, and this is kind of advice or counsel, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Now that's just weird advice to give to somebody that you're trying to help or correct, if you know what I mean. If I were God, I would think, I've sent you back home. You uh, basically think about how bad you've been. And after you think in the corner for a while, then you come back to me and you repent. And that's kind of how I think that God is supposed to communicate to people who do not want to be in a covenant type of relationship with him. And so, yeah, he tells them, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit. Uh, Verse 6, take wives, have children, take wives for your sons and give your daughters to their husbands so that they might bear the sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. Once again, it's like God is saying, hey, keep living your life. And if you keep reading and skimming down the passage up until verse 9, he basically says, be at peace. And that word peace in the Hebrew, it's called shalom. He's kind of like, have this wholeness of peace. And I kind of think that's a very unique uh, counsel to give to people who are in captivity. Like, they have no home anymore, and God says, be at peace. Well, how can you be at peace if you are essentially stuck in a foreign land? And so, yeah, that brings us to verse 10. And basically, that initial part is, while Israel has fallen into sin and been captive, God's counsel to them is goodwill, basically. So we pick up in verse 10. And God basically says, you will be stuck in Babylon for 70 years, and then I will visit you with my good goodwill. And here's this famous passage in verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. And he gives us promise, I'll bring you back out of captivity and give you freedom. It's an incredible promise because here Israel not only doesn't deserve freedom, they don't want to be in a relationship with God. Yet he comes to them and he offers himself once again. And almost he's like saying, you're in captivity, but that cannot separate you from my good intention. And this is the application that I want to draw from this. There have been several times in my life where I felt like I was in a type of captivity and If you look at Israel's actions, it was kind of a captivity of their own making. And Babylon comes and kind of destroys Jerusalem. So there have been times in my life where I feel stuck, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a difficult circumstance, whether it's debt, whether it's uh, just... uh, I remember going through uni and I goofed up on an exam and I put myself in a place where I was kind of like, oh man, I don't don't know if I'm going to do well this semester. And like I was really wondering is this going to affect my academic career? And there have just been several times in my life where I have felt put into captivity of my own making. And 
this text kind of rings true to me, especially now in the moments where I feel God in my own captivity, whether it's sin or whether it's a circumstance, can I find freedom? And God's response to Israel is, don't worry about freedom, worry about connecting with me. And let me try and explain this in a different way. Israel was so focused on being a nation, being a free nation, having a great name, having a temple where they could worship their God, and they could kind of show the rest of the nations, look at us. And it's like, even though it had to do with God, they weren't prioritizing God. They were prioritizing themselves, their own desires. And in my own life, there are times where I prioritize um, my own type of freedom. Oh, I am free from sin. I am free from debt. I am free from whatever. I am free to be in this church, and uh, I get to be a co-pastor of this city church. There's this type of freedom where I feel like uh, it's something that's valuable to me. And here, God comes to Israel, and he's saying, you've prioritized the good stuff that comes out of a relationship with me, and you've missed the actual relationship part. And so he takes away the distraction, and he says, you are in a place now where the distraction is gone, and now you and I can actually spend time together. And I wonder if there are times where we feel like we're in captivity. And I wonder if there are times when we pray where we still focus on the freedom aspect of being in a relationship with God and yet miss the actual relationship with God. And so here in this passage, God comes to Israel and he says, seek and search for me. Like Even if you have fallen, that will not separate my desire to be with you. And even in your captivity, you can experience what it's like to be with me. And then he actually asks that and he promises, in 70 years, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you want. Here's another example of this very same thing. If you turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, it actually breaks down a little bit more of what it really means to connect with God in a meaningful, practical way. And I hope that at the end of this passage that, um, yeah, it would make prayer a little bit more practical and in prayer you would be able to yeah, connect with God in a very meaningful way. And so if you're there, John chapter 15, it's this famous passage about um, God being the vine or Jesus being the vine and uh, the Father being the vine dresser. And John chapter 15, it says here in the beginning, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And so here, I'm kind of connecting this idea of fruit with freedom that I was talking about before. And so here, Jesus says, um, I am the vine, you are the branches, and if you just stop there, it almost seems like Jesus is saying, you need to produce fruit, or you need to be in that place of freedom, otherwise, I'm going to break that branch off. And that almost sounds counterintuitive to everything I've said previously. But if you just skim down to verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And so, here in this passage, Jesus isn't just saying, Look, you need to produce fruit, 
What he's really asking for is that we are connected to him and with him in a very meaningful way that will lead to producing fruit. And there's a slight difference. I hope I've made that a little bit clear. So here's how one connects with Jesus. Verse 3, he says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And there's this idea of the word of God cleansing us. It's the idea of the word of God showing us and revealing us who God is. And it's really the word of God that kind of gives us the right paradigm and worldview of who God actually is. And so when we pray, when we're calling out to God, it's really good to connect that with actually searching the scriptures and finding out who God is. So that as we call out to God, we actually know what God is like and what what to even pray for. Uh, Let me try and give an example. There are a few things um, that have really helped me in my own prayer life. One is this. Uh, There are different promises in the Bible that God gives to us um, so that when we are in moments of need, that we actually know what to pray for, we actually know what to call out for, and we know how God is going to respond to those circumstances. I'll give one example. If you hold your hand in John chapter 15 and go to 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and here's what the text says. And this particular example is an example of uh, one who is uh, messed up or one who has sinned or one who has done something that they feel is um, contrary to the will and word of God. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so there's this uh, passage that talks where God says, if you feel like you've messed up, if you feel like you're separated from God, you call out to God confessing your sins and God promises to forgive those things. Now, usually when we confess our sins to somebody and we say, hey, sorry, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where somebody doesn't want to forgive you. And so you say, hey, I'm sorry. And it's like, sorry, it's not good enough, buddy. Or if you've been in, the, in that place where somebody says sorry to you and you think, sorry is not good enough, buddy. And so when we go to God and we feel like we've messed up, it's easy to think, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But yet there's still this feeling and sense of guilt. And so it's kind of like, if I still feel guilt and God promises to forgive me, well, how come I still feel guilt? And so there's kind of this challenge of there's this promise. And so here in John chapter 15, Jesus says, Claim my word and let my word change your paradigm. And there are so many times where our own preconceived ideas of what God is supposed to act like and how we usually act is kind of like a reflection of what we think God is going to do. And God is saying, let my word change that mindset. And it's difficult to come to the place where you think, you know what, I'm actually wrong about this. And God, I accept what you're having to say. And in this particular promise... God says, ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you. And so one thing that I found really helpful is in prayer, when I want to connect with God, and sometimes I still feel that that separation, actually physically opening the Bible is something that's very helpful to me. And I'll look through that passage and I'll just read it and repeat it over and over and over again. I just think, God, for one reason or another, I still feel guilt in my heart. I feel captive, and I feel like in my captivity, I feel separation from you because my wrongdoing has separated me from you. And here in this passage, God is saying, no, let my word break down that barrier. So sometimes repetition and reading this verse 
something that's helpful for me or any other promise in the Bible. Another thing that's helpful for me, and this isn't um, specifically stated here in John chapter 15, but in terms of interacting with the Word, I find that visual representations of God is something that's really helpful. I'm not talking about an idol. I'm not talking about having a statue of Jesus and then going and kind of hugging the statue and thinking, Jesus, you know, this idol is going to say, like, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I do find is, in my mind, if I picture Jesus on the cross, and I think, you know, the whole reason why Jesus is on the cross is to reveal his love to me, is to communicate, I'm dying for your sins. And if I just picture that, sometimes it's something that's really helpful where I feel like, you know, like, I don't know why I separate myself from God. I don't know where this doubt comes from, but Jesus died on the cross already. And nothing that I have done or will do can change the fact that Jesus has already died on the cross. And just picturing that scene of Calvary over and over and over again is something that really helps me connect with God. It breaks down that wall of unbelief and it makes me feel like, God, you have forgiven me. You do connect with me. Like I don't know why this separation is here. So visual representation. Here's a third thing that helps. Um, some of the most meaningful experiences that I've had in wanting to connect with God has been in a ceremony called communion. And it's something that we'll be um, doing in this church here in the next um, little while. But basically, in communion, um, there are um, physical emblems that are to remind us of who God is. One being a little piece of bread. It represents Jesus because in the Bible, he connects himself and he calls himself the bread of life. Another example is a bit of grape juice. He says, this, he says um, these, this juice is supposed to remind us of the blood that was shed and the forgiveness that comes from that blood. And so when partaking the bread, when partaking um, the, the grape juice, um, there is this reminder. And for some reason, whenever the senses are kind of engaged, it's a good way to think, you know, this is real. Just as this food is real, Jesus forgiving me is real. And so communion has been something that's been very, um, uh, yeah, beneficial. And finally, fourth, uh, something that's been helped me is uh, I really like to pray in the shower. And this has, there are, no, there are no Bible texts about this. So, I mean, this is just me sharing with you something that helps me. If, if there is a moment where I really feel like I'm struggling with something or I'm wrestling with Scripture, something in my life, or just... Uh, there's a temptation and I just think I just need time with God and I need grace from God. The shower helps. And in my mind, I think grace is such a vague, mysterious thing. It's not like there, there isn't like a pill where you eat it and you go, ah, I am now saved or, uh, you know what I mean. And so how do you experience grace? And uh, an- another passage that I often uh, quote to myself is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, um, where he uses this line, this grace in which you stand. So like kind of step into this atmosphere of grace. And it's not a physical atmosphere, but he's just saying, you step into it and Jesus promises to save you because he has died and rose again. And so I kind of quote Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2 over and over again in my head. And in the shower, I kind of think, the water that comes down from the shower head is kind of like a physical representation of grace. I'm not saying that water, the, the water in my house is holy water or the water in Coburg is better than the water in everywhere else in Melbourne. Maybe it is. No, I'm kidding. Um, but for some reason, I turn on the shower 
I step in and I just feel like, you know, the very presence of God that God promises to us to be in our hearts where we have just the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I kind of feel like, you know, just as the water is kind of coming on top of me, like, this is what God promises to do. And I, I don't know why I... I don't know why I'm struggling to believe it now, but then in that moment of, you know, the water's real and the grace of God is real, it's something that's actually quite helpful. And so those are some things that help me. So there's this idea of nothing can separate me from the heart of God because he proactively wants to connect with us and he's just waiting for us to connect with him. And so here, when Jesus gives this uh, this passage in John chapter 15, he's saying, I want to connect with you. Will you connect with me? Um, those, those, are some things that, um, those are some things that really help. Um, if you continue on here, Jesus talks about his uh, forgiveness connected with his truth that's connected to himself. If you keep reading to verse 7, notice he says here, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And so, Jesus has this desire for us to bear fruit, because in himself, there is something to be born. And if you look at exactly what that is, verse 9, it says, As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And so here Jesus says, connect with me, experience my love, and as a result, um, yeah, there will be commandment keeping that takes place. And so many times we kind of picture that Uh, it's easy for me to prioritize the freedom or the fruit or commandment-keeping or obedience before that connection to Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, focus on what it means to connect with me, and as you connect with me, there will be fruit-bearing. There will be commandment-keeping. And I just kind of want to repeat that over and over and over again. I'm in a place right now in my life where uh, in prayer there's... uh, we're at a transition time period. Every year at the end of the year, pastors get reallocated. So it's kind of like, uh, I could be here, I could be, so um, most of you know, uh, I'm in Tullamarine most of the time, and then I'm here part-time. Jin Ha's out in Melton part-time, and she's here part-time. And so at the end of the year, pastors get moved around, like, and so we could be here, we could not be here. We don't really know. And each year for the past three years, uh, this time period has been always a time of, like, stress. Like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And uh, each, in the previous years, there have been times where I kind of let the end result determine how I feel. And so while that process is still going on, it's just there's so much unrest and concern and stress and whatnot. And when I thought about this, I thought, you know, I'm almost prioritizing my allocation over my faith in Jesus. It's like my prayers are kind of like, Jesus please have your will done in my life as long as I get to stay in the city of Melbourne and in Tullamore. You, you know what I mean? It's almost like there's this condition placed upon that promise. And when I think about Jesus' communication to Israel and Jesus' uh, discourse right here to his disciples, it's almost like 
don't prioritize the freedom. Just trust that I'm going to take care of you. And yeah, like wherever you go, I'm going to make sure that I'm prioritizing you and your well-being. And uh, you know, we, we haven't heard back from administration where we're going to go yet. And I remember um, when we first came here, uh, we, were t- we were asked, look, come from America, come to Australia. Like, if you guys move your family here, we, wa- we want you to start a church in the city. And we thought, oh, man, we're so excited. This is going to be great. And we came, and um, that wasn't exactly what happened. I thought, man, what's going on? And there was a time in my life where I really complained to God about this. And I was like, you know, this was supposed to happen, and, and it didn't happen. I feel disappointed. What's going on? And um, what I learned is, and this is, I think, why that first text in Jeremiah is important, where God says he leads Israel into captivity. And this is, my job is not captivity. I don't, I don't want to communicate the wrong thing here. Um, but my point is that God was guiding that situation. And when I recognize God in that situation, there's always a good side to every single thing that has been done, even if it's perceptibly, or, or even, if, even if I perceive that it's a hardship or a type of captivity or whatever, or, or something that's negative. Um, and so what I realized is, you know, over the past three years, yeah, maybe there have been things that happened that I didn't necessarily like, but there's always something really important connected to that negative event. And I look back on it, I thought, man, if that negative event didn't take place, I don't know where I'd be right now. So it's almost like a good thing that that negative event actually took place. And I realized it's only in God that those things can actually happen. And even in my own life, I think, well, what are some hardships in my life right now that I feel that separate me from God? And I thought, well, maybe God has a reason for that negative thing being there. And if I actually trust him and, you know, he tells the Israelites, go buy houses, or not go buy houses, go build houses. <laughs> this, is, this is my own desire coming out, right? <laughs> anyway, go, go build houses, go get married, go have children, be at peace. And it's like, you can be at the worst place in your life, stuck in this difficult circumstance, and, and Jesus or God is saying, connect with me, and I'll make sure that you experience a peace. There's always a good thing that you can experience even in a time of captivity for for israel he's yeah so i kind of thought like you know there have been things that have happened in my life in the last three years that i didn't necessarily like but there are always good things that i could have done during that time and i realized you know this whole time i could have been a lot more at peace with everything that took place if i only just spent more time with god and kind of in the silence of prayer just kind of commune with god and remembered how good he is and was and will be. And so um, for you, if you're in a time of hardship or difficulty and that hardship is not going away or you're unsure about the future or there's a difficult circumstance right now in your life, yeah, there's this amazing promise in the Bible that in prayer you can connect with God, find peace, make the most of what you're going through. And retrospectively, if you acknowledge God in your life, you'll see that there was something behind that Um, and so it's my prayer for you that as you pray that you would be able to connect with jesus and um, prioritize the relationship the value that he places in you and as a result down the road you will see god do amazing things in your life and um, it's kind of the promise that's given here and so um, yeah may god bless you as you 
connect with God in a meaningful way. Um, there's a song here uh, by Audrey Assad, and uh, it's called You Speak. And it's just kind of talking about um, the moments of silence where you really are able to just connect with God. And I guess that's the, uh, the, the gist of the sermon, but I hope that it's a blessing to you. Till I
Father God, we, it's, our prayer, it's our prayer that you would teach us to listen to you, to be able to connect with you, that our needs would not distract us from uh, being able to see how good you are and, um, and be able to just really enjoy your presence. And so, Father, I pray that you would inspire us to pray, that you would inspire us to connect with you, and as a result, may we... Um, yeah, enter into the joys of um, knowing you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.